You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech, where we scratch wax cylinders to make fat beats and auto-tune our pet lizards to sing like Olivia Newton-John, where we release indie music on Dropbox and license white noise to Hollywood films. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a music tech PR firm. Today, I bring you another great session from the first annual Music Tectonics Conference, which took place October 28th and 29th, 2019 in Los Angeles. As you heard on our recent episode, keynoter Mark Mulligan told us that the surge in self-empowered independent music will be a bigger seismic shift than streaming itself. So we also put together this episode's panel titled, independent era, how self-empowered artists are changing the entire music industry. It features representatives from Meetem, CD Baby, BeatStars, SongTrust, and The Rattle LA. Let's go straight to the panel. Uh, good afternoon. Welcome to the independent era, how self-empowered artists are changing the entire music industry. Uh, we've got four uh, self-empowered panelists here that are going to share their words of wisdom and perspectives with you before we get started. I think we all need to give a big round of applause to the awesome effort from the whole team at Rock, Paper, Scissors. That would be Bethany and Eleanor and Tristra and Cheryl and, and, uh, and, and the whole team. And, of course, uh, Mr. Crazy Ass, uh, Crazy Pants himself, uh, Dimitri. <laughs> He's got a new nickname. So, uh, yeah, very quickly, uh, Kevin from CD Baby is uh, the world's largest uh, online distributor of independent music in the world. Nine million tracks from 750,000 artists, which they distribute to more than 150 digital uh, services and platforms around the globe. And uh, Helen is a director of The Rattle, which is a, a, um, an incubator space designed for the new music industry that's based in London and is going to be opening right here in L.A. soon, uh, as well as New York. And uh, Dev Tejwani is, is the CMO of BeatStars, which is a digital production marketplace that allows music producers to license and sell beats as well to give beats away for free. And then Molly is the global head of business development for SongTrust, which is the world's largest technology solution for global music royalty collection and publishing administration. So I uh, got all that. Right. Yeah, thank you. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so Kevin, uh, we're going to start with you at the far end. As uh, an artist yourself, formerly on a major label, how do you think it's different being an independent artist today uh, in terms of what's available now to indie artists versus 10 or 20 years ago? Well, uh, when I started out, the big problem for independent artists was access to the market. You just didn't have access to the market without... Uh, a label or somebody getting your music out there. Now anybody has access to the market, so that problem's been solved. So really at that point, it just becomes, do people like your music? Do people like what you do? Can you get people to, uh, you know, are you writing great songs that people want to hear over and over again? Can you build relationships <laughs> with fans? And so it's really shifted from, do you have access to the market and I need somebody to help me get access to the market, which you still need help, but anyone can get it. Uh, to how am I actually going to get people to hear my music and care about it. And that's more of the problem now. And also that the idea that there's no one out there that's just going to pick you up from obscurity and put you on the fame train and uh, you know make you this megastar that a lot of the way the industry is looking now is looking at 
hey, where are these artists emerging? We can see trends, we can see data, we have access to a lot of information we didn't have before. So uh, they're, they're looking for artists that already have something going that they can take and do something more with. So Dev, um, Nas X was created, the longest running song in Billboard history at number one was created entirely on your platform, which I don't know if everybody knows that. So um, I'd love to hear about how that happened and what it means at this point in time for the music industry as a, a game-changing event. Sure, yeah. So Lil Nas X bought this production, this instrumental on uh, on BeatStars in, I think, uh, November or December of last year, 2018. And uh, it was... It was by a producer named Young Keo out of the Netherlands, a nineteen year old or eighteen or nineteen year old kid. And Lil Nas X himself is like nineteen or twenty years old. So, you know, purchased it as a buy one get one free beat on BeatStars and it was actually the the free one uh, that, from what i heard and um he he leased the beat for 30 the other beat for 30 dollars and uh the cool thing about beat stars is that we have a whole bunch of contracts and licenses already built out for when somebody buys a piece of production and so all the all the ne like necessary things within the the contract for this particular license put Young Keo, the producer, in a in a really powerful position uh, when it when it came to sitting at the table and negotiating like the the exclusive right to the song and the ability to you know exploit that. What he didn't set forth before the song was licensed and it came out was the Trent Reznor uh, Nine Inch Nails sample on there, which ended up you know the song came out, started taking off, and. It became like Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails were just like, yeah, you can use it because it's working. In no other scenario, I think, would any of these artists, uh, Young Keo or Lil Nas X, been able to clear that sample without it starting to take off and have the momentum already take control. Uh, so essentially, I, I think the the change now it, and the tectonic shift in all this music industry stuff and just the the create the creative side of the music industry is that there's more power for the artists and the producers, the young artists and producers that, you know, all they want to do is create and all they want to do is put out good content and hopefully in some capacity create a mega hit. You know, not everyone's going to create a mega hit, but this whole idea of creating uh, a piece of art and p publishing it and putting it out to the whole world is empowering in itself, like never before. Uh, so I think there's just going to be a lot more power held by these artists and producers, young artists and producers. So in other words, the number one Billboard song of all time was created based on a $30 transaction. Yeah, uh, buy one, get one free tra <laughs> transaction. Free one with that. All right, so, so the, the, the music ROI uh, Hall of Fame is a new king. That's, that's yeah, BeatStars is on the, on the <laughs> cutting costs of, of production and essentially being a, a, a good tool for these producers to have really dope production. Somali Wall. Tell us, Song Trust is, is so much bigger than people realize. Just give us the, the raw numbers in terms of, of your reach and the number. Yeah, we, we represent over 200,000 songwriters, um, many of whom are CD Baby clients, so we power their CD Baby Pro publishing offer. Um, we have over 2 million copyrights that we represent and um, about 26, 27,000 publishing companies um, that we are doing the, the, uh, the technology administration for. What's it like um, having uh, <coughs> compatible companies under the, the, the same 
ownership. That's wonderful. I mean, that uh, that was complete in uh, April of this year. Um, our parent company, Downtown Music Holdings, acquired um, CD Baby's parent company, AVL. And um, so and among the companies there are Dashgo and AdRev and a number of other brands. Um, and so it's interesting now because we have a, a lot of different lanes of opportunity for creators and a sort of a sweet, and downtown music publishing. You don't have to work with just one or all, um, you know, that we have a, a, a sort of a menu of options for different kinds of businesses. How do you guys talk to artists at the same time when you can have something approaching an end-to-end -end solution instead of artists being overwhelmed having to go to different places and sources? Well, I think CD Baby is very focused on their creator community, um, and there are lots of creators that work with them, and then there's lots that work with other companies, and we don't we're agnostic about their distribution. So um, that uh, that I think is a nice compliment. Helen, can you speak a little bit about how you support um, artists at the Rattle, uh, and what makes you different from uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. Basically, the Rattle exists because we believe that artists should be the founders of what they do. Um, they should be founders of their own uh, careers uh, rather than employees of large institutions, not naming any names. Um, and how we do that basically is we borrow heavily from the tech accelerator model. Um, we uh, the, the big problem from my point of view has always been that money and investment in, in music has always been very closely coupled with the creative output itself. It's a weird thing that is specific to the music industry and the entertainment industry. It doesn't exist like that in tech. Um, just because you receive seed funding from a, from a fund as a tech company does not mean that that fund has creative control over what you make. Um, so we borrow heavily from the tech accelerator model um, to make artists into founders of music companies that produce art and therefore can receive funding that is not connected in any way to their creative output. Did that make sense? It does, it does. <laughs> you were talking about some of the tools that are designed uh, more for working musicians, career artists as opposed to hobbyists. What are some of your uh, favorite um, platforms and offerings in that space? Um, I usually, my position, I guess, is uh, the opposite. I feel like a lot of the tools today are being built for the long tail of people who enjoy making music. And there's not actually that many tools out there designed for musicians that are trying to make a full-time living out of music. That's still a privilege that is maintained by people who are signed to major labels. Um, the long-term financial viability of those careers is something probably for another time. Um, but... We work with artists that are usually on the cusp of trying to convert. They're, they usually have other careers that are subsidizing their, their musical career, and they find it really, really difficult to get across to the other side. Um, so I guess I'd put it back to the panel in terms of the tools that you guys are creating. Uh, what do you think is out there for people who are trying to make a full-time living out of music? <coughs> well, I... A couple things. Um, I think the one tool that when you mentioned major labels is they have money. Uh, and I think the tools exist no matter what level you're at. It's just a matter of how well you know how to use them and target people. I think one of the things that's amazing where we're at now, especially for the independent artist, is with a lot less money, you can target very specific audiences online, people that are far more likely to uh, 
like and listen to your music and become fans than actually uh, how people have traditionally advertised products with banners and you know magazine ads and stuff that are very untargeted and unfocused where now for a hundred bucks you can target a lot of people um, for us we've been making some tools uh, we have a marketing platform called show.co that allows you to do some of these things and for us it's really about helping artists build that audience online that they can target and then they get to own it where if you're using Facebook ads or something like that Facebook still owns that audience at the end of the day you can't take it with you um, so for us it's helping artists uh, track and build audiences off of all the online activity that's happening around their music and be able to retarget uh, messaging to those folks so that's some of the stuff that we're working on it a whole you know artists at on major labels are using those kind of tools. Artists they are just starting out. If they um, have, you know, jumped in that far already, are using the tools. And as long as you understand who you're trying to target, I think you can be very successful. I think what most people traditionally, when they're marketing music, what they've traditionally done is thought that everybody should be my fan. Everyone in the world should be my fan. And they go way too broad instead of going, no, let me find out who exactly is my fan, as narrow as it can possibly be, because if I can just hit those people, the chances of success are much, much higher. I think uh, with all these companies up here, including BeatStars, obviously we've, we've been able to give people uh, or artists and producers an ability to connect with people like never before. Uh, Song Trust is, is insane with being able to collect performance rights royalties across the world. Uh, CD Baby is an incredible distributor and her company, The Rattle, is like actually putting together people that have all types of skills uh, when it comes to everything that you need to be a successful musician uh, in the same room and they like bartering services and everything. So along with uh, what he said is that like we have way more control now over what we what money is put in and and what results we get from that. Right. Uh, these massive tech companies and uh, in, in Facebook and Google and Amazon and Spotify, like they, they own a lot of the data and they're not going to give that up, but they give you access to, to reach those people on there no matter what. Um, so unlike a, you know, a campaign back in the day and, and, and before this era, you were putting $30,000, $150,000, whatever into a radio campaign and not knowing what was going to happen with that. Now you can put $2,000 into something into promoting uh, an EP or a video and really see real engagement and real data and know if that's, you know, this piece of art is something that you want to continue pushing or iterate and change, like turn into, like do something else, create a new song and like really use that feedback loop from the audience to, to really, you know, drive your, your art forward and you know at the same time like when it comes to resources and, and especially as an independent artist like your best resource everyone's best resource is the people around them that are also learning all these things right so with the rattle like you, you have a marketer a videographer a a copywriter a publicist like that's all you need along with some capital to to start off a career so just using all those resources is going to be very impactful for any artist at any level so. So, um, BeatStars has been around for 11 years, and uh, I spoke with Abe once, the CEO, and he said, you've never had to take any kind of investment at all. Uh, how has y your community uh, been able to support you uh, through this time? 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, two things to that point uh, with bootstrapping and, and seeing some uh, real results with this with this uh, with this company. Uh, first off, though, like if you put the community <laughs> in the center of your business, and if your if your if your business is community based, you're already going to win, right? If you're focused on your shareholders or you're focused on your on purely profit. You're gonna you're gonna let your community go to waste, or like they won't they won't like you as much. You know you see it in business all the time. So I think we have a very community focused business model uh, from the start. So that really helps. Um, what has driven us like through through this whole process of growing this company and 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 turning it into a profitable uh, you know entity has been that we want to see a lot of these artists and producers be independent and be independently successful. Like that case study in and itself is so important for this narrative of our company and for you know this whole artistic community around the world. Uh, there's there's producers on the platform making forty fifty thousand dollars a month, just straight into their accounts, not waiting for publishing checks. As a producer, they're just getting their production leased or bought out completely, and they're just sitting in their room making beats in the Netherlands or or India or or, or Vietnam. It's that is just empowering overall and has driven the company in so many ways. Uh, the next, you know, the next part of it is that the whole idea of this feedback um, from your community has helped drive the product forward, right? We listen to all the, or we read all the comments, we listen to all the people talking at these events that are, uh, you know, beat stars, producers or whatever, and really try to, you know, be a, a company that listens and implements and iterates our product around that. Was it that feedback that led to you offering Beats for free? Because that is not really typical that you would. So I, I think that's, you know, I think that's always been a thing. Uh, even back in, you know, 2012, 2013, I actually started at BeatStars like three months ago, like not, not even that long ago, but I've known Abe and I've known the company for the past eight, nine years and actually partnered with, uh, with, uh, BeatStars back in 2013 uh, for my, my previous company. And I think the whole idea of a freemium model is super important, right? If you're a producer and you have, you know, free beats online, you're more likely to get a, a customer later on, right? The whole idea is just, you know, getting people hooked on, onto your sound. And um, we essentially, if you're just a hobbyist and you're just, you know, listening to, to production and beats and just want to do something with that, you can download the app for free and listen to the beats for free and write it, write everything you want around that beat and then go recreate that beat later. You know what I mean? So it's really just up to the person how they want to use it and how they want to like you know create a relationship with the producer and actually buy a production. But there's been over 50 million you know paid out to producers through this marketplace and this uh, and our business you know since the last for over the last 11 years. So the freemium model I think works just in general. So Molly, you like to say that. Um Song Trust is a business product for uh, creative people and that you view uh, creative people as businesses themselves within the music ecosystem. So what are some of the uh, unique ways that, that you empower uh, your artists? Well, um, I think access to information is the main thing that's driving a lot of our strategy where, you know, I was talking to one of my former colleagues um, who's in the audience here uh, and who's like I've you know come clean sorry Philip come clean like I never really gotten into publishing much I'm like that's fine because two years ago before I started working here I was a publisher because I started my career as an artist and wrote songs 
but it wasn't me understanding the granular detail of the global music publishing network and societies and the differences of of every the nuance of of the the system that's so intricate and so hard to understand theoretically so what we have been focused on is trying to make sure that we understand it ourselves and then present that in a way that is digestible and um, helps people feel like they get how things work and what they're owed. And if they work with a company like ours and we, you know, prove that, you know, the investment that they make, um, which is $100 and 15% of the royalties we collect on your behalf, that they are, that's a business product that they've, just like they're licensing their Microsoft software, or people don't do that anymore, maybe some. Um, <laughs> but in a similar way that they are, you know, they have access to a business product that helps them collect this money globally. And so we're very focused on making that case and then doing the work, which is very difficult, especially because we have such a big um, body of repertoire. So we, you know, we just found out today that we are now open with two more societies. So now we're directly affiliated as a publisher with 50 societies. Um, around the world. I think that makes us the largest network of direct affiliations of any company. And that was Jamaica and Barbados, um, which is important to us because we're working with artists in those countries too. Um, one of our you know, recent success stories is someone who has a track with a big, big audience, so 70, you know, multi-millions multi of streams. Um, and he, there was a sample of his work He's in his 70s, and now he's getting like 15 grand a quarter. And it's life-changing, you know? I mean, it's really incredible that, that we are able to, you know, through our network and some of the efficiencies, you know, through of the, you know, whether it's YouTube or, or how you collect around the world from the digital income, that we can really help people get what they're owed. So that's... The, our main motivation and satisfaction, and it, it actually gets me excited every day um, to do what we do, which is kind of have the subject matter experts inform the technology, because we can't do that without efficiency. It's like, you know, it's already really hard. <laughs> and so that's, that's what we're really trying to do. You do a lot of uh, educational events for your members as well. Yeah, yeah, we, I mean, for, for people that aren't clients, anyone, you know, we have um, webinars and, you know, specific issues around, I mean, we really want this, this sort of the work that you're describing to help people start from, the, one of the cases I make sometimes is we complain about the data, we complain about the gaps in, um, you know, that Spotify doesn't have ISWCs or whatever it is, so they can't pay people properly. And it goes back to, okay, so then did the distributor supply the, the songwriter in, and publisher information? Probably not because they didn't have to, right? So hopefully they will have to soon. Um, and then it also comes down to like when you're making the split of the song and making those decisions around who did what percentage of work and making sure that that's sorted and then getting that registered properly. And that's like business work. And a lot of people don't want to do that, but I think what you're trying to do also is like, this is business, it's a transaction. And you know, then we could have the longest running number one song in the history of the universe or whatever it is. <laughs> Kevin, you um, took a different approach. You started your own conference for independent <laughs> artists that I went to for the first time in, in August. And uh, 
Why don't you tell us about the thinking behind that and uh, how it's progressed over the years? I mean, for us, CD Baby has always just been, we've wanted to build up the community. For us, uh, of course, we want people to use our services. We're very proud of what we do. But ultimately, what I hope is that artists are educated and empowered to make good decisions about their careers as they, um, as it, you know, things build and grow. Uh, there's a lot of information that comes at you, and if you don't understand the industry or your options, or your choices, a lot of times artists uh, make decisions that in the long run may hurt their career, whether not owning their masters or, or just signing bad deals with people that promise them big things. And so for us, education is a huge piece. That's what a good portion of my team, we spend time uh, working on you know, articles and podcasts. And so we started a DIY Musician Conference just to take that out into the real world and have conversations with artists face to face. And the cool thing is that we have such a large community of artists that use our services that we see a lot of things and trends within the artist community, things that maybe people outside the artist community wouldn't necessarily assume are happening or know are happening because a lot of artists, we don't think uh, like what people would call, consider normal people. We we're, we're, can you know, be irrational at times, very emotional, and so we don't necessarily sometimes approach things the way uh, someone on the tech side assumes that we're going to approach things. And so a lot of times we see trends and things happening in the community and we can help uh, educate and also just be there and support. And uh, a lot of times as an artist, it's just a, it can be a lonely journey. And for us, it's just, hey, we're here with you. We understand what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish and we can help. And uh, so that's, that's what a big focus of the, the, the content we create is around. But, but David, actually, I wanted to go back to something that Dev said. He was talking about uh, uh, testing things online. I think as far as trends for independent artists and things that the independent artists are doing that are changing the industry is what we're seeing is uh, independent artists releasing music really fast and seeing if, it's, if something's working and if it's not moving on to the next thing. And I think that's one thing that's really great that's happening in independent artist communities that the mainstream industry is actually trying to adopt because, you know, you think about, like, uh, I'm a fan of, like, U2, and it's like, they do a, a record, and if you don't like it, it's like, see you in five, six years when you have another record. But in the independent artist community, it's like they're putting out music at a much higher speed, and sometimes EPs, sometimes albums, sometimes songs, but the idea is that I'm getting it out there, and if it's working, I'll dump some money into it on Facebook ads or or run an ad campaign through show.co and put a little bit more fuel on the fire. If it's not, I'll go track another song. Maybe something will connect with that song later on. And so that's a trend that I think is really key that we see happening uh, you know, every day at work, that just artists are understanding that when you have access to the market, the more you get stuff out there in front of people, it's a test. It's like... Does it work? If not, let's move on to the next one. Let's not linger on it. Let's keep creating and making good stuff. <coughs> doing things the indie way used to mean doing the major label, mainstream way on a budget. And now with the equalization of the playing field, it seems that the indie way is being embraced by uh, the majors. And I think the majors are you know, kind of looking at the indie sector, having generated a billion dollars last year, and uh, wondering, having worked at majors myself, you can imagine how do we get ourselves into some of that action? And what kind of um, 
threat might that uh, impose upon indie artists in the future? And what do you think independent artists uh, might be doing to, uh, to, to protect their situation? I have a quick opinion on that. I mean, I, I think that certainly there are times when access to a lot of capital makes sense and that, you know, whether it's to be, you know, that you want to invest quickly and you think that there's a, a, a lane that you just can't do on your own with whether it's, you know, radio or some some other thing that just needs a lot of support and investment. But it's so inherently risky and it's so... I mean, one of my, I used to be a manager, and um, our A&R person is here, um, when she signed us to Atlantic, and we, you know, we survived, right? Like, we're still here. That's good. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a brutal thing of, you know, because there's so much risk when you make those big investments, and we're in a very emotional business with lives at stake and creative people at stake, and they, you know... The vulnerability that I, I see perhaps being accelerated now when you look at artists who are getting uh, you know, the massive amounts of investment and giving up massive rights that they own inherently that they could control still if they went through some of the more independent paths is that we, we saw what happened in the 90s. We saw the, you know, the massive investment that happened with, um, with uh, you know, whatever alternative rock. And some of those bands came back 25 years later to play big reunion shows, but most of them didn't, and you don't remember them, and it was, it was a sustainable economy that didn't need to be disrupted that way. And I think it's, it's you see this, this story happening again. Do you think those same artists, if they didn't have the major label push that maybe doesn't create the long-lasting... Uh, fan relationships, do you think some of those artists might have been in better shape now, even if they didn't quite sell as much then and get as much airplay then? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to jump back on something you mentioned and kind of in line with your question about the major labels looking at the indie movement and trying to get a piece of it. And what you were talking about, this kind of testing cycle, is product market fit, that's what you're talking about. And that's traditionally been the major labels game. Um, I guess it's an existential question, but is that really the future of all music, just a, a process of product market fit? Are we just moving into a place where, and um, I guess it's a controversial question for you because you used to be an artist, but are we d making magazines? Are we making paintings? It's What's the purpose of this music? And do we all want to be part of that cycle? Well, I, I don't think that, uh, when I mentioned like people putting things out quicker, and is it working? Uh, from the artist side, um, I don't think it's as much about I'm just trying to make widgets and find a hit widget. I think it's the idea that from the artist side, uh, one of the biggest problems that I've worked at CD Baby for 14 years, so I've talked to a lot of artists. And um, one thing that I've always seen is artists will write a song, and it might be a good song, or they'll have their first album, and then they'll get stuck there and they'll never make anything else because they keep trying to work that first album and uh, the, the, their creative growth stalls out and they just get fixated on that. Where now I think it's the idea of you have creative freedom and you can release whatever you want and if something's working with your audience, great. If not, you can go back to the woodshed and come up with something else and it's about 
connecting with fans and hopefully writing good music um, and not getting fixated on the product, in my, in my opinion, that as an artist, if you're not growing, you, there's a problem. If you're spending all your time marketing on Facebook and not working on your craft as an artist, there's a problem. And so to me, the release cycle that we're in actually puts the emphasis back on the creative process, which I think ultimately is where it should be. And uh, as opposed to feeling like I made such a huge investment in this album, I'm going to feel guilty if I leave it behind. And so I'm going to fixate it on, on it for three years. And I think that's the problem that some of those bigger artists in the mainstream world still deal with, that the independent artist community has moved beyond. I think, I think you're right. Um, the, the whole game now, though is especially because this is a business music is a business and at the end of the day these creators are trying to make some money no matter what uh being able to test fast and fail and try over and over and over again on all these different platforms in all these different regions around the world you can literally change you can you can literally have one song going in india and one song going in mexico and another song popping off on tiktok and another like 15 second clip of your work you know anywhere and this could all be part of this testing process, which is essentially just a mashup of everything that you're doing. Uh, I think when you focus as an artist on, and depending on the type of artist that you are, but if you're an up and coming artist with literally just starting from zero, I think you should try everything. Maybe that, that requires you to have one song and you have 10, 15 different pieces of video content to run across the board on different platforms and run different ads and different uh, creatives, I think that's another way to test and really just try to see what works to make your song work for whatever audience that you're trying to find. I think you just got to try everything now because everything is random. There are no rules. So, All right, so where do you guys see um, growth coming from? How will artists be selling their music, performing their music? Where, where do you think things are heading? to wrap things up. Sure. Um, not to be nihilistic about it, but I don't see that much growth coming from selling music. Uh, all the growth I see is from artists doing other activities that supplement what their message is, um, kind of surround the music and create new additional revenue channels for them. Um, artists creating brands, artists creating companies, artists creating empires, you know, that run the whole gamut of entertainment technology. Um, until we fix streaming, music isn't going to pay rent by itself. Um, so that's where I see growth. We uh, at BeatStars work with a lot of producers, so we see a lot of these uh, these producers making their production like on on their workstation. They're very well, you know, equipped to create content, to to do, you know, marketing, to create their own brand, just like an artist has been, have had the same tools. So now, now I see a lot of these producers, like with B Stars, they're they're selling their instrumentals as leases, or they're leasing their instrumentals. They're also selling exclusively. They're also creating a brand around their, you know, their name, uh, selling merchandise and everything, selling kits, sending s selling sounds. But they're also doing events. They like. Like a couple of really dope producers, there's a dude named Cato, uh, Cato on the track, and Illmind. I don't know if you guys have heard of these guys, but they've all been a part of Beat Stars and the history of Beat Stars. They go around the country and you know have young producers pay to be at their sessions and literally just give feedback to 50 people in the room on all their production. That type of interactive uh, experience for younger creatives uh, is actually you know it's 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 
turning them into turning these these producers into you know more influential influential people but they're also uh, there's a real business model in that 50 people paying a certain amount of money you're making a, a good amount of money every time you do that and you can consistently do that all over the world so i think a lot of stuff is coming from you know just doing stuff outside of selling music or streaming music and music on the streaming sites is just the the advertising that that makes you dope makes you look cool and those numbers around it is just what makes you look cool at the end of the day whereas like the streaming it might help if you're doing really well i think it's just like collateral for everything else i think also we gotta we gotta take advantage of international and these international markets being very very uh receptive to american music now uh and you know focusing in on the fact that we can just travel an artist or producer can travel really at any point once they have a fan base somewhere uh so really i think really focusing on an international market and not just the u.s is going to be super important for any artist or producer at any level to focus on at, at like at the front of everything not just the u.s market you were saying in the green room how it's a lot um less expensive and a lot less competitive to get some initial buzz uh going in territories outside of the u.s yeah yeah it's it's actually it's actually much more effective because people are more receptive that's the thing people all over the world now are just getting phones and data whereas like people in the u.s have been online for the last 20 years right so all these people consuming on their mobile phones in whatever part of the world are very very engaged and entrenched in everything that they're looking at and so with that we can reach all these people but we can also get them on our on our bandwagon before people in the United States and then use that social proof to show people in the United States how powerful you are as an artist because you prove it. You know, there's a proof of concept for your music. So, yeah. So, Molly, you used to work at Kickstarter. How do you think artists are going to be funding their projects uh, in the future? Um, well, I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, the Kickstarter model is one. Um, I think it's... You know, uh, it requires a certain amount of vulnerability that um, you have to sort of connect your community to support your project, and not not everybody's really that comfortable with that. But that's, that's one of the concerns. But I, you know, what I when I was there, um, certainly my the way I was encouraging people to think about it was, um, you know, that it's a way to centralize the energy and. You know, honestly, if you're signed to a label, you're asking for stuff behind the scenes, and you're getting told no, and you're devastated when you know your A&R person says, "I don't have budget for this or that," and um, you know, this is this is it, it can be, you know, the, but um, but it's not for everybody. And so I think you know, if if companies like the ones that are here can help, um, you know, creators, producers, writers, artists understand that if they run a healthy business with a reasonable budget, you know, maybe some of it's self-financed, but if they do the hard work, they will have access to the market in a real way, um, then that's that's a really healthy way of, of looking at it. And if you can own your intellectual property um, and maintain that ownership, unless it doesn't make sense, and I think that there are scenarios where that's fine, um, you know, but that is a really strong position. And you look at I, I, you know, one of my favorite um, musicians is Money Mark, and he wrote into his clauses um, when he uh, released his records like 20 years ago that there were reversion rights. 
And so he's just getting his rights back from that label and now reissuing them. And, you know, I mean, that, those, are, those are things that you can do if you have foresight and you care about the work that you're making and, and making, you know, creative decisions on your own. Uh, I was going to say, um, one of the things as far as artists, how they're going to make money in the future, I think, I think by and large, a lot of people are still approaching the market like it is still the 90s that, and it, yes, I wish streaming paid more, but that is just one piece of the artist's revenue picture. And like Mark Mulligan was talking about this morning about how the China market and TikTok and it's about empowering fans who want to do things with your music that ultimately generate revenue. So there's all sorts of different ways music is being used that's going to generate revenue that's not just straight up streaming. And the first problem that we have to solve is making sure everybody, all the artists, are actually monetizing all their rights. Because that's number one, half the time we see an artist doing well, you know, their publishing's not monetized, and other, they're not monetized on YouTube, and all these things, they're, they're just leaving money laying there. So solving that problem, making sure you're fully monetized is step one. Um, <laughs> but another thing that we're seeing a lot more that's actually driving revenue for artists and building fans is the idea of collaborating with other artists has become really big. It's always been big in the hip-hop world, but like the YouTube world has really embraced that. And I know as artists, a lot of times when you're in a scene, you look at the other people that might be vying for that same gig or uh, as competition, but really it's a matter of like partnering with other artists and harnessing each other's audience to the benefit of all. Because um, ultimately, the thing that's going to bring you money and revenue is an audience, and you got to look at that as actual people that can be monetized as well and what you're doing to know who those people are, keep track of them, communicate with them and provide them opportunities to uh, create revenue. In the olden days, we did this. You would play a show and you would play with someone who was big in Eugene and then they would come and open for you in Portland, right? People still do that. Right. <laughs> I was just going to say on the point of, uh, you know, where us is going to go for funding in the future. I mean, there's a range of options beyond, you know, Pledge and Kickstarter. That they're just not in the mainstream yet. And I, I know people in this room that run funds that invest directly in artists. There are people creating altcoins um, to, to launch artist careers. There's credit lines available that are specifically designed just for funding tours. They're just not mainstream yet. Um, but I guarantee... All of them are much better than signing a record deal, <laughs> which is a giant loan product with a huge APR. How do you get them out of underground, and how do you get these options uh, exposed to artists? Is that something that the Rattle is going to be doing? Yeah, 100%. And um, I feel like we've been banging on about the same thing all day, which is essentially the power of community, um, because it's the, the connections and the knowledge um, and the ability to share that knowledge fast um, which I think is going to get us there. What we try and do with the Rattle is if we take the best, the top 100 independent artists we can find in every major city and work closely with them, um, like, like you were saying, the algorithm's constantly changed, the game's constantly changing, but w if you have a community that's constantly sharing with each other, this is a thing that's working right now, this is a thing that's, that's going to be working for the next few weeks or few months, um, and get people out of these information silos, um, you create just mass access to things we're talking about so um what do you guys think is the greatest unmet need what do you think is the platform or service that hasn't yet been invented that that people are looking for and would benefit from 
but I think that platform is 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 like these conferences that are actually about education, like all the time, and access for artists to come here. You know what I mean? Like there's there's conferences all the time, but I think that's 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 what's needed globally. Like you you work with Madem, super important uh, conference for the world, but like a lot of people don't know about it. You know what I mean? And I think you guys purposely do that. But I, you know, there's I've got postcards. After. <laughs> but there's I think these these events are super important for everyone in this business, honestly. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Music Tectonics podcast with a recording from the Music Tectonics conference, which took place October 2019 in Los Angeles. To keep apprised of other recordings from the conference and our upcoming 2020 dates for the conference, please hit subscribe to your favorite podcast app. I'd like to send a special thank you to our supernova sponsors of the Music Tectonics conference, AdRev, CD Baby, and Hydric, and to our star sponsors, Lyric Find and Hyper Wallet. And to everybody who came out and made the first conference a great success, check out the Seismic Shift trading cards on our website. And if you go to musictectonics.com, sign up for our newsletter where you can keep apprised of upcoming podcast episodes, blog posts, and other events we're doing. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Music Tectonics.